Alrighty, we are back for another exciting edition of Cloverleaf, COVID Leaf Radio. I'm the host of the most, the king of the quarantine, Jimmy Falcon. Boy, oh boy, are we back with a very talented man I've known for nine years now. The scary but sweet Bill Oberst Jr. How's it going, Bill? Ian, you are a good friend, brother, and scary but sweet. I like that. I'll take it. In fact, I'll steal it and ask my manager to use it. Go ahead. Well, I think it's... Yeah, I have a feeling. <laughs> yeah, you just don't know whether it's going to be scary or sweet. I like it. So thanks for having me on. What's well, an honor, and I feel like uh, you do play a lot of scary, even maybe even horrific characters, but behind the veil, you're very kind, and it seems like you're, you're also going to have a lot of, uh, I don't know if I want to say religious tendencies, but um, you're a good guy. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. And I've tried to true and you and i are a lot alike because we grew up as fat kids and being picked on uh, sort of being the class clowns how do you think that helped you cope and oh my goodness what led to this being a career path that is really embarrassing I, I love your yeah me too just not when uh, i'm trying to do this unfortunately Yeah, see, I'll, 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 I'll go over that again. Uh, how do you think that helped you cope, and what led to this being a good career path? You scratch any actor or any entertainer of any level, and usually you'll find that they were picked on as a kid. So I kind of view it as a, an asset and a benefit, because when you're knocked down as a kid, you know that the only thing you can do is get back up. Yeah, I think you learn and grow, and especially, uh, I always like making people laugh, so it's, it is a way to cope with, you know, being picked on as a kid, and, uh, you know, that stuff sticking with you, at least you have a way to go, well, at least I made some of them laugh, and I guess now I've heard from some people who were like, oh my gosh, they're still doing the show, that's great, and think of people that, you know, were so horrible to me when I was a kid, it's kind of nice to maybe make them, <laughs> make them feel like you're a little better than them or something for a half a moment. Facebook who will hit me up and, you know, like, oh, hey, you know, we were in sixth grade, we were in eighth grade, and 
I guess uh, a lot of times uh, the girls that were gorgeous that I was in high school with uh, are already not aging as well. So I think you're, if you're gorgeous at a certain age, you're just kind of all downhill from there. <laughs> well, that's something I never had to worry about. <laughs> Me neither. Uh, <laughs> being that, uh, of course, some of your most well-known characters are scary and uh, horror descent, who are some of those that were not so scary and maybe even normal that you've portrayed? Boy, that's a shallow bucket to pull from. Who have I portrayed that was normal? Well, I did a couple of Hallmark movies and I played a really? uh, Amish father. But even though he was not, he was normal, he certainly had a temper, a violent temper. There was like one scene where Daniel Pannebecker is playing my daughter in this Hallmark movie. She's been shunned, and we can't speak to her. And she's playing a guitar, and I, I grab the guitar and just slam it against the, the post of the porch and bang it into pieces and walk away. And uh, Michael Levin Jr. was the director there. And uh, after we did that scene, he said, "You know, Hallmark, you got to bring a little bit of violence, don't you, Bill?" I was like, "Well, you told me you do it." <laughs> so I cannot think of a character I played that hasn't had that sort of simmering at least possibility of malevolence. You know, the comic stuff I've done, okay? Asylum has made one kid's movie. I'm the villain in it. It's called The Princess and the Pony. He's a comic carnival owner, but uh, he's mean. And then um, I did a talking dog movie. I was so happy. This is my great talking dog movie with Dean Kane, and it's called uh, The Three Dogateers, and I play the evil dog catcher, and he's very broadly drawn, like really like a Yosemite Sam kind of character. But again, he's mean. So, I can tell you some normal people, but nobody that's nice. You know what? I just thought of one, Bill. What? Walter from the Hee Haw parody with Jim Carrey. Yeah, I've watched a lot of interviews. He does seem awesome, and uh, a lot like almost everyone I've uh, talked to, uh, the people I've talked to that have worked with him have all said he was wonderful. Very, very quiet, uh, very quiet guy. Most comedians I've dealt with are like that, very quiet. Hugh Jackman is also very, very nice. Um, beyond nice beyond the point that you would expect that he has to be, such you know that he's just genuinely a nice guy. Adrian Bungo, wonderful to work with. Jamie Lee Curtis, wonderful. Uh, just seems like the high.
professional people are in this particular business, my experience has been that the more genuine and uh, kind they are. I know there are crazy exceptions, but right. everybody I've met who's at a really high level has been really nice. And another uh, wasn't more of a character, it was actually a very talented writer, person you portrayed, who may have been more normal than some, was Ray Bradbury on stage in uh, theater productions. How did all this come about? Yeah, I'll tell you, I, I will take my answer back because I have played Ray and he was normal. And I forgot about Abraham Lincoln, he was normal too. He was a little melancholy, but he was normal. So, Ray Bradbury has been my favorite author since I was a kid. And after he died, I um, always said, if Ray Bradbury dies, I'm going to go to the funeral. And I was shooting a movie in Mexico, and I couldn't go to the service in Los Angeles. So I was so bummed out that I contacted his hometown in Waukegan, who was having a memorial performance that year. And I said, you know, you don't know me, but I really, really love Ray. If, if I could participate, I would. So they invited me to come, and I, I read from a story of his that I really liked is a boy called Pillar of Fire on stage in Waukegan, Illinois, his hometown, at the Genesee Theater, and that's where it was a movie theater at the time when Ray was growing up, and that's where he first saw Lot Cheney movies. Yeah. So I did that, and it felt so good to speak Ray's words from the stage that uh, one thing led to another, and over time I just kept thinking, gosh, I wonder, if, why has nobody done a one-man Ray Bradbury show? And got in touch with his family, and it took about three and a half years to 19 drafts of a script to get to a point where they liked it. And we had just gotten it going when COVID came around. Yeah. So I'm hoping that once, uh, once COVID is gone and theater comes back, that I can get back to it because it was just starting to bit. Yeah, it's unfortunate. This this year has it's shut a lot of doors uh, in restaurants and even on sets, but it seemed to also open up a lot uh, with streaming and people just doing stuff from their homes and finding just finding ways to make money and make the industry work. That's true. I started a podcast and I never would have done it except oh. for COVID. But I started my little gothic goodnight podcast and. People have liked it, and Audible.com is going to accepting it as original content. So I just finished my 13th episode that winds up the first season, and now I'm going to package it as an Audible offering to have that online on Audible. And um, it's, it's really close to my soul. It's gothic literature, and it's fun and spooky, and I never would have done it except for the pandemic. So. I know a lot of creative people who were forced to kind of do things that we thought about but never done. Well, that's awesome you've joined the podcasting world. I see more and more people and more and more range of topics uh, coming about with podcasts. I think it's awesome. Yeah. Um, so I'd like to invite your listeners to check it out. Mine is very short, always under 30 minutes, and it's meant to put you to sleep. I thought it'd be fun to have a bedtime podcast. So it's it's set in an old library and a mythical library, and I read you a short selection of gothic fiction um, as you drift off and go to sleep. Absolutely, I think everybody should check it out. You said it's going to be on Audible. It will be on Audible um, as a, a complete season audio 
uh, we're right now, it's online, it's on all podcast apps. Just look for Gothic, G-O-T-H-I-C, Gothic Ignite, and you'll find that there are uh, 13 episodes up there now. The Phantom of the Opera is probably my favorite of the ones we've done so far. Very cool. I think everybody should check it out. I'm going to have to check it out. That's awesome. Do it in the dark, though. you got to have the lights out because I mean for it to be like a, you know, a nighttime podcast because I say, good evening, welcome to the Moonlit Library. And it just sounds stupid if you do a laundry in broad daylight while you <laughs> listen to it. So wait till dark. So no riding down, a, down the street on the bus or jogging with no. it? Goodness gracious. Yeah, I don't think that would be the place to necessarily be listening to it at all. Uh, Something else that's uh, creepy, scary, and very original is something you've worked on the sequel for recently, and you won a Daytime Emmy Award for it, and I believe that was in 2011. Take this lollipop. And I checked out the sequel. It was very awesome. What was it like returning with this whole character and this whole idea? I, I was telling people and they couldn't they're like how do you put yourself into it I'm like you just have to check it out you put yourself into it I can't go into it or you're not gonna get the joy out of it uh, but I thought it was yeah. interesting that I found out about it pumping gas I mean that's how inter- how around it got it was playing on gas station TV in a, in a deep fake commercial so I mean it's it's amazing where this stuff is seen and where it can get out to with the advances of today Yeah, the whole concept and the original one was awesome too, and this was a great uh, time and a great style to make of the sequel, so I thought it turned out very well. And I would tell people, you can do it at takethisolipop.com, 
since Christmas is coming up, people might get a kick out of realizing that the man who did Take This Lollipop, Jason Sada, also created one of the most popular Christmas apps. It's called Elf Yourself. Right. I remember that. Yeah, okay. So many people have seen it. It used to be Staples. I don't know who's got it now, but it's always some company has it online. But it's really simple. You upload photos of your family, and they get superimposed on these dancing elves, and it's really impossible to watch it without laughing. But that was all Jason's idea. And um, when we were shooting Lollipop, he told me how he did it, you know, how he was working for somebody else, and he did this on his lunch hour and put up a green screen and hired a dancer. And uh, that's, that's the kind of person I really admire who just has an idea and said, I wonder if we could do this, and tries to make it happen. He's a genius. Yeah, it's it takes so much to be able to act, but putting into uh, creating something from the ground up, a project wise, has to be uh, an enormous feat. <laughs> yeah, I like to say that every movie that gets a one on IMDb has a hundred people behind it. Nobody tries to make a bad movie, you know. Right. It's hard to make even a mediocre movie takes a lot of sweat. Well, I was wondering, and I thought it might be a good question to ask, if you had a dream character or person that you haven't portrayed that you would like to. Yes, I do, and it's an easy answer. It's um, Eric from The Phantom of the Opera, as he was originally written. And let me explain. In, in the original novel, uh, Gaston LaRue, who wrote this in French, he was a police reporter, and he dealt with uh, reports of... Um, killers who were physically deformed and in those days you know if you were physically deformed or unusual in some way you couldn't work you couldn't have much of a life and so a lot of them drifted into crime and so he made eric his phantom of the opera hero slash villain the ultimate version of this eric was so physically disfigured at birth so much of what they used to call a freak that his mother wouldn't look at him. Oh, no. And his father made him a tiny little mask to put on him, and they sold him to a traveling uh, carnival. And so he grew up having, on his keep, they would put him on stage, and he would have people pay money to stare and look at his body. That's the way he grew up, and that's where he learned magic. And then later on, he was uh, made sort of a slave court jester of a Persian shah, and that's where he learned to murder. So I said all of that, that the character, he, nobody threw acid in his face. He wasn't a handsome romantic hero who just had one half of his face. He was, he was a freak by the standards of his day. He was born that way. And nobody outside of Cheney in the 1925 version presents him that way. They always say, well, we've got to have a reason that he's disfigured. But the whole point is, he was born that way. So, that's my little pitch. And if there are independent filmmakers out there, I keep telling young guys and girls, the story's in the public domain. It doesn't have to be in the Paris Opera House. In fact, it probably shouldn't be now because it's been done so many times. Just take the core of the story and rip it out of that frame and put it wherever you want it. It could be stage 
fish anywhere. Right. The, the, the point is the character. So that, yeah, Eric is the character that I would like to play. Uh, and I don't think anybody's really done him legitimately since the 1925 version. And even that movie, Ian, they cheated because Lon Chaney wanted the ending to be Eric dies of a broken heart at his organ. Mm-hmm. And they find his skeleton years later slumped over his organ. That's an ending in keeping with the character. They shot that. They showed it to test audiences in 1925, and they hated it. Hated it. Because you can't have the monster be sympathetic. He's got a monster in 1925. And so they went back and they shot this ending, which I really don't like, the ending where he's being chased by the mob and they tear him apart and throw him into the river. I think originality can be so much that they need to do with these remakes and stuff and pick one central core of an original story and build around it to make it new. And I like what you said, bringing it up before, uh, you know, before these characters even became well known and getting to kind of the core root of the original. A pedophile. <laughs> that's, that's why I liked playing Lincoln and Abraham Lincoln versus zombies because if you try to play Abraham Lincoln fighting zombies and be authentic right. in doing it, you really have to think what is the essence of Abraham Lincoln's character? And if he faced this bizarre situation, how would he act? So I, I really like doing that. I like the idea of thinking about what's the essence of this character. Forget the surroundings. And if you can do that, then you can take your character and place him in any situation. I think that's one of the things I like most about that and what probably makes it my uh, favorite movie of yours is that it wasn't a campy Lincoln because the movie itself was kind of campy and, and hard to believe. But it was an authentic style of Abe Lincoln, just in a bad situation. He was a genuine, uh, nice guy, and I love the, the ties we have here in central Illinois to him because he's, he's just all over the place. He was a good man. He was a decent man, an honorable man, and he was a melancholy man. That's what I like the most about him is that he brooded. You know, he, he was a man of sorrows. He had right. experienced a lot of sorrow in his life. He thought a lot about death. And so uh, if you were around him, Yeah, Lincoln had a lot of sad stuff he dealt with. Uh, Anne Ruthledge passed away and the first love of his life, losing almost all but one of his kids. And then he passed on and his wife ended up in an institution for a while. 
really unfortunate because I think it was a, yeah. he was a great person and to have all that uh, sadness and sorrow and toppled with the Civil War and everything else going on. It's just uh, he loved um, poetry. He loved Shakespeare. Poems that dealt with sorrow, bits of Shakespeare that deal with tragedy. Uh, I think when if you can be a person that's not afraid to like look at darkness and think about darkness, then the darkness becomes a little less dark. Like if you, if life is essentially, I think at its core, and I think it's tragic because we're here yeah. for such a very short time and then we're gone. So if you just want life to be nothing but happiness and excitement, there's always going to be this sneaking little devil back in the background saying, hello, I'm here. Hello, I'm here. Your time's running out. But if you deal with it through poetry or through stories, you know, if you're, if you're able to understand that the core of life is, is sadness, it makes the happiness a lot happier. Wow, that's really not a great way of thinking about it. It's, it's, uh, I feel like I dwell too much a lot on things, but I still t- try to have fun as much as possible and be goofy as much as I can and listen to dogs fighting as much as possible. You do. I follow you online. You have both. I mean, you're a very fun person. You're Yeah, it's, uh, I try to always tell people, I try to put out good stuff, especially like on Facebook, because there seems to be so much hatred, and I could go on and on about my knees hurting, and how I hurt myself today because I'm accident prone, or how I feel like crap and I'm depressed, but I still try to find a good thing to put out there. Yeah, get a couple of laughs and like. oh my goodness! Well, we are on to the last question. I think we went over time. My dogs aren't going to shut up, anyways. But being that this uh, day and age is kind of interesting, uh, what does the future hold for you, Bill? I'm sure, more podcasts and kooky, scary films. That seems like a great concept for a show.
segments, one for the vampires and one for the humans, and the vampires have to keep making concessions. The, the humans have to keep making concessions to the vampires. And the vampires need to keep them alive because they need their blood. They can't let all of them die. Oh, so, um, so it's very interesting. It's called Age of the Living Dead. Yeah, I'd encourage people to check it out. And I got a movie coming out too called Painkiller. Uh, the director is Mark Savage. And it's a sequel to a movie called Stress to Kill. And this one's called Painkiller. It's about opioid abuse, and it's a revenge thriller. Uh, and, yeah, I've seen it. It's pretty good. It came out well. Very, that's very awesome. I think the uh, opioid crisis is something that's really affecting us. So it seems to have made its way into the uh, film industry as well. Probably a good way to be able to let go of some of that pain, channeling that through a character. Yeah, storytelling is a great way to do that. It's cathartic. Well, Bill, thank you so very much. I hope I didn't take too much of your time, but it's always such an honor. To, I feel like I could talk to you for hours on end, sir. Uh, thank you so much again for the shirt and uh, another autograph because I feel so upset that my one, uh, my Lincoln one somehow was uh, mauled up. <laughs> Absolutely, Bill. We'll have to keep in touch. Congratulations on all the great projects you're going on. Uh, you got going on, and take this lollipop too. Just seems like it's blown up. So, congratulations, my friend. Thank you, man. Take care of those dogs. <laughs> That's all I get done. That and working and trying to feed myself. That's enough. That's, that's all I need. Yeah, take right. care, Bill. Thanks well. a lot. Bye bye. Bye bye. All right, everyone, big thanks to Bill Oberst Jr. Had him for uh, a little over 30 minutes. Always an honor talking with him. Be sure and check out his new podcast as well as all his works coming up. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Have a great night.